Nation, it's Rick here. First of all, I have to apologize because I miss posting an episode on this Monday. I promise you guys that I will be posting every Monday and Thursday, but I miss this Monday and I want to apologize for that. It's been a year of posting content and this is the first time I miss an episode and I'll explain more about it by the end of this episode. Alright, anyway, in today's episode, we are going to be talking about how this secretary by the name of Betty Nesmith Graham, how she got fired from her secretary job and started a business and turned it into a multi-million dollar business. The product that she's selling is actually an office supply product and you can get them in any stationery shops, right? If you go and find them, it is very, very common. It is one of the world's most popular and enduring office supplies that almost everyone uses at least once in their lifetime. Most people use more than that. I personally use it so many times before and I'm pretty sure you did as well. Right? So guess what's the product? Well, this product is a white correction fluid used to conceal handwritten or printed typos, right? which is also known as liquid paper. And just like many uh, women in the 19- 1950s, Betty actually made a living as a secretary, but between her subpar uh, typing skills, her critical boss, and also the fact that she had to support herself and also her young son, Michael, she needed to find a way to hold on to her job. Right? She wasn't a chemist or she, she, she's not even an engineer. She was just a single mom from Texas who had a brilliant idea while working a 9-to-5 job as a secretary. And over several decades, she identified a need in the market. She organically grew her business. There were no Facebook, there were no Instagram or Google back then to promote her business. All marketing was done organically and offline, right? And she also staved off competition and she bootstrapped her way to eventually selling it, selling her business at $47.5 million, right? So if you if you put it to, to, this, to this amount, the amount of money is equivalent to $173 million. And she did it all during a time where women were not encouraged from pursuing business ventures, right? People were against women. They look, they, people looked down at women, right? So the question is, how did she do all of that and turn it into a multi-million dollar business? That is what we'll be discussing in today's episode. But before we start, if you're liking this content, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share it with someone who will benefit from this. If you're looking to improve your investing skills and you love listening to stories, then you're definitely going to enjoy this podcast because each week we'll be sharing with you investing tips and strategies by using real company examples and the power of storytelling so that you can make better investment decisions as an investor. Now, when you're ready, let us get started. So first of all, Betty was raised to be imaginative, strong-willed and also independent. Her mother owned a knitting store and taught her how to paint from a very, very young age. Her father, on the other hand, was a manager at an auto parts company. So since young, she understood the value of consistency and hard work. But Betty did not care much for traditional education. So at 17 years old, she dropped out of high school, got married to a soldier named Warren, Warren Nesmith, and had a baby boy. 
But when her husband returned home from World War II, the couple got divorced, right? And Betty was left to raise her son on her own. So in order to make ends meet, she would work as a secretary at Texas Bank and Trust, where she earned about $300 per month. So to put it into perspective, that is equivalent to $36,000 per year in today's money, right? $36,000 per year. So it wasn't easy for the family, right? To an extent where she would frequently burst into tears of panic because of the financial pressures. Although Betty was not a great typist, but she eventually rose to the position of executive secretary, right? Which is, which was back then the highest job available to banks, uh, the bank's female employees, right? At that time, IBM just came out with a new line of electric typewriters, and these typewriters they were faster than the previous models, and they used carbon film ribbons. But Betty soon learned that the invention had some downsides. The first thing is the keypads. The keypads were so sensitive that it led to more uh, typographical errors. Number two, the carbon ribbons, they were made, they made these errors impossible to erase, right? Without leaving uh, smudges all over the paper. So since Betty wasn't a great typist, she herself made a lot of errors. So she had to find a way to fix her typos. And that was when she had her million dollar business idea. So she previously had a side hustle, painting window displays at the bank. And she said this, an artist never corrects by erasing, but always paints over the error. So I decided to use what artists use. So that was what she, she thought of, right? She thought of, instead of erasing it, right? Because we said before, the carbon ribbons, they made, errors impossible to erase, right? And it, it leaves smudges all over the paper. So she cannot afford to make errors. So one thing she relate to this is she relate to the artist, right? Because artists never corrects their, their painting by erasing. What they do is they paint over the error. So that is what she decided to do as well. So after work one day, she went to the library and she looked, she looked for the recipe for tempera. So tempera, uh, back in the days, it was one of the very old water-based paint, right? So she mixed it into a white-colored uh, liquid concoction and everything, all of this were done in her kitchen blender, right? With her kitchen blender. And she poured everything in a small uh, nail polish bottle. So they, she had a few nail polish bottles. So she poured the, the concoction into the bottles and she, start, she started secretly using at work. Right, to cover up all the typos on the documents. But despite her best effort to keep this a secret, word started spreading and soon enough, her fellow uh, secretaries, all of them wanted some as well. Right. So by 1957, Betty was selling 100 bottles per month to her colleagues. So the, to meet this demand, she turned her garage into a mini packing plant and she pays her son and also her friends $1 per hour to fill in these little glass bottles and stick them with the handwritten labels. So she called her product Mistake Out. So that's the name of her product, Mistake Out. So Betty knew that to expand her reach, she would need to improve the quality and also the consistency of her product. So with the help of her son's chemistry teacher and also 
an employee at a paint shop, they would work together to dis- to develop the formula for the product to make it even better in terms of quality and consistency. So on weekends, she would travel around Texas pitching her product, right? Mistake out. She would pitch the product to wholesalers. But when they took a pass, when they don't accept, when they didn't accept her product, she decided to market it by herself. So she found her way into national uh, supply magazines and that led to 500 orders all over US, right? All over the US, including 400 bottles of sale to General Electric, GE, right? General General Electric Company. So she poured herself into this business. She just worked very, very hard. And one day at work, at her secretary job, she accidentally signed off a letter and she put there the Mystic Out Company instead of Texas Bank and Trust because that was, that was where she was working. But instead of putting uh, Texas Bank and Trust, she wrote the Mystic Out Company. So that was when she got fired as a secretary. But to Betty, that was a blessing in disguise. So in 1958, Betty changed the name of her product from Mystic Out to Liquid Paper. And she filled, uh, f- she filed for patent right, using this, uh, the formula that she has, she filed for patent. And over the next few years, she sought help from a number of industry professionals, including uh, polymer chemists, and also she further refined her product for the for a mass market. And the product spread in pro- popularity. So Betty, she relocated the operation from her garage to a trailer and then to an office building. And she hired a staff of employees to help out on marketing, on production, and also on logistics. And it wasn't easy at all, right? With with the growth, of course, it came with doubts, right? But she continued to persist. And this was what she said during an interview. She said, I think anyone who is making progress faces fear. Overcoming fear is all there is to success. You have to face fears and doubts constantly. You keep doing over and over again. By 1964, just six years later, the production of liquid paper grew 10 times. It grew up to 5,000 bottles per week. And then in 1967, the company notched its first $1 million in sales, which in today's standard is equivalent to $8 million dollars. Right, so Betty spent heavily on advertising, on showcasing her product during uh, primetime TV programs like The Tonight Show, and also on uh, Glamour and also Fortune magazines. And the sales just grew through the roof. And in 1975, she moved liquid paper into a 35,000 square foot automated facility in Dallas that pumped out 25 million bottles per year. So that is a huge growth. Right, compared to when she first started. It's immense growth. And she also, of course, with that amount of success, she also had to deal with competitors. So when there's an opportunity in the market, there will always be people who want a piece of that opportunity. And same thing goes to liquid paper. There was one by the name of White Out. So this company, they actually attempted to take on uh, liquid paper. But Betty maintained the lion shares of the market. So she did not she did not allow her competitors to take over. And as her operation took off, even people closest to her tried to take advantage of her success as well. And a few years earlier, in 1962, she was 
remarried. She married a frozen food uh, salesman by the name of Robert Graham. And she gave him partial control of Liquid Paper's uh, business affairs. But in 1976, which was 14 years later, 14 years of marriage, she divorced and he tried to cut Betty out of the company by changing the formula and kicking her off the board. But Betty was no ordinary businesswoman. So she managed to stave off her ex and maintain a 49% stake in her company. However, by 1979, her health was deteriorating. She sold liquid paper to Gillette for $47.5 million. And to put it into perspective, that is equivalent to $173 million today, right? On top of that, she received a royalty. I mean, she received royalties, not a royalty, is a lot of royalties. So she received royalties on every bottle sold for the next two decades. But just six months after that, at the age of 56, she had a stroke and she died. Her son, Michael, who achieved fame as a member of the 60s uh, pop group, The Monkees, he carried on his late mother's legacy by appearing in uh, commercials for her products well into the 90s. And he continued to receive the liquid paper royalties from the deals that his mother made. And he used them to launch the music video company Pop Clips, which is a predecessor of um, MTV, right? So coming back to Betty, she was not any ordinary businesswoman. She was very thoughtful and she left behind much more than just her fortune. In times when, you know, the corp- when corporation didn't offer any uh, employee benefits, Liquid Paper was offering benefits like on-site childcare facilities, uh, employee-owned credit union, wheelchair-accessible facilities, tuition reimbursement, uh, racial, racially integrated staff, and so much more. During her successful run, Betty also established two philanthropic foundations, one that supports women in arts and another that offered uh, assistance to uh, disadvantaged women. Today, Liquid Paper is still in production and is owned by Newell Brands, which is a company that owns Rubbermaid, Sharpie, and also Elmer's Glue. And this brand, Liquid Paper, after so many years, is still going strong, thanks to Betty. And that is all from me, my friend. I hope you learned something from this episode. But before we end, regarding why I didn't post on Monday, I have to say that from today onwards, I will be focusing on giving more value and attention to my Mastermind subscribers. These are the people who believed in me and I'm committed to delivering the best value to them. But of course, I'm not going to completely stop producing podcasts. I do enjoy learning and also sharing my insights and stories with you guys. And I hope you guys are benefit benefiting from this as well. But moving forward, I'll only be producing once a week, which is on every Thursday. All right. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you want to know more about my mastermind, you can find out more on Dylan.com. I will also put it put the link in the description and you guys can go check it out. However, this is not for everyone. I'm committed to preserving the quality of this mastermind. So if you're interested, do schedule a call with us to see if you're right fit for our mastermind. Anyways, until next time, take care my friend. I'll catch you on the next episode.